Hi, everyone. This is Jim Robbins, and this is the Good and Noble Hearts podcast. And with me again is Gary Barklow, and we are in part four today of our calling series of discovering the glory of your life. Um, last week, we talked about glory and what it means that each of us bear a particular aspect of God's splendor. In other words, what way do we as unique persons bear the image of God? Uh, what do we bring to every relationship and context? What are we compelled to bring? What, what naturally flows from us? In other words, the effect of our life. So that was what we talked about last time. Today we're going to talk about how does that get assaulted? What is at stake here and what is trying to get shut down? And perhaps why that, that, that is happening in our lives as well. Well, Gary, it's, it's been a few weeks, but um, you've been busy in Australia doing a couple calling retreats, and um, it's good to be back. Oh, it is good. It's good to talk to you again, and, and it'll be fun to, to venture into this subject now. Um, I've, I found myself uh, <laughs> resonating with uh, much of the themes of today's um, podcast on assault just because it happens so often. It's uh, it's sort of been the theme of my life in the last um, you know several weeks, if not years. Um, so I think a lot of people are going to be able to connect with what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and for each of us and each of the ministries that we have, the heart is absolutely critical to what we talk about and uh, what we're offering. Because if you rescue the heart, you rescue the person. It's not just the, it's not that the heart is just sort of the feeling, emotional, hallmark kind of thing going on in our life. It is the center of a person. The, what what drives us for better for worse, and that's what Jesus is after. So let's start with that foundation that if you rescue the heart, you rescue the person. And why? Why does David the psalmist say, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life? What is at stake? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that that verse starts with, he starts with the phrase, above all else. And, and boy, I tell you what, when we hear something like that, especially in scripture that says, above everything else, everything else mentioned here, this you keep as a priority. And then he says, guard your heart for it is a wellspring of life, we have really got to take note of that and say, all right, this is priority for me every day, every waking moment to guard our heart. And, and of course, you know, the question comes from that verse, why? Why above everything else? Well, it, for two reasons. I mean, one, it says that's the wellspring of life. In other words, that's the headwaters of this life that we are living in and that's flowing through us. It's, it's like, you know, being here in Colorado, you know, we're famous for the Colorado River, which flows west. But the reason it's the Colorado River is because its headwaters are here uh, on the western slope of the mountains. That's where it all begins, and our heart is the headwaters to our life. It's where it all begins. And so we have to be very careful of that well that headwaters of our life. Um, also because, you know, our heart, as we talked about, is a place where God dwells. It's, it's the place where we are to forgive from. It's, it goes on and on. It, it is the real us. It is the true life in us, so we have to guard it. Uh, the other reason, going back to a verse that, you know, I have brought up again and again that I said is so core to this, which is Philippians 2.13 which simply says, for it is God who is producing in you both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. So the life we are to live is written in the form of our desires on our heart. And so we have to, once again, guard our heart if we're going to be able to figure out why we're here, what our place is, our role, our script, and so on. And, and of course, the the, the last point I'll make on the why I think it says above all else is because of the story that we live in. You know, we, we live in a story 
where there is God and his purposes, we live in a story where there's also an enemy, Satan, and what he's trying to destroy that God has created. And, and we are caught in the middle of those two things, uh, of the enemy who wants to take our life out so that we can't become an oak of righteousness, a display of God's splendor. And then we have God who has written on our heart in our desires why we're here and what we're supposed to do. So all that to say is that's why we have to guard our heart above everything because that's not only the place that God speaks and where he lives, but also the place because of that where the enemy will attack. And we just might want to add that when we say guard your heart, that's different than saying having a guarded heart. Um, I, I don't want people to think that what we mean by that is to have this self-protective, I will never feel harm, I will never allow people close to me. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about having um, a more a appropriate view of our heart and its value. Uh, and therefore, because it is the wellspring of life, the repository of, of really what God has put into us, that we need to take that much more seriously and protect it in a way that is healthy um, and, and, like you said, doesn't allow the headwaters to become sabotaged or tainted because if the headwaters become sabotaged, then whatever's downstream of that is going to be affected as well. Um, right. And, Jim, that, you know, that's such a great point. I've, I've never thought about that, that, that there's guarding your heart, but, but there's a common expression of a guarded heart and they are two different things. That that is a great thing to bring up. And it's almost, you know, as I think about it, as I'm saying that, it's almost as if if you guard your heart in this healthy sense in which we're speaking of, you you won't need to have a guarded heart uh, because you will value your heart. You will be you will be um, uh, bringing it under the care of God and, and uh, cooperating with him and allowing this thing called life that he put into it to flourish. So um, just as a, I wanted to add that as an aside so that didn't get misinterpreted. But, um, you know, as I'm thinking about the focus of the heart, and I'm going to assume, uh, and I, I think you do too, that it, if, if the heart is the focus of Jesus' mission, then it's also going to be the focus of Satan's mission. Mm -hmm. um, because it is the very thing where life abides in us, where, um, you know, in fact, uh, um, one of the ancient church fathers said, you know, abide with God in your heart because, because that is where you meet with him. Um, so if, if it's that big a deal to Jesus, then where else would the enemy place the focus of his assault? other than the heart. Um, so uh, let's go into the parable of the sower. You use this as sort of a context for going beyond the traditional, uh, you know, evangelical evangelism implications of the, of the um, parable to addressing how assault against this glory, against this life in us can happen. So what does that look like? Let's go through that parable a little bit. Well, yeah, th this is one of those verses as well. Like we talked about Proverbs 4.23, when it starts with above all else, we better take notice. Well, in, in Mark chapter 4, um, Jesus gives a parable that we call the parable of the seed and the sower. And he talks about a farmer sowing the seed in, into the soil and so on. Well, after he's done speaking, the, the, the disciples basically say, Jesus, that was so good. Now, what did that mean? And so, you know, he says, okay, l let me explain this to you. He said, and he starts with, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. Okay, now this is one of those verses when he says, I'm now going to give you the knowledge about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, oh, that's a big deal. I mean, we all want to know the secrets of how something works and what goes on. So, again, this is one of these verses that just that phrase alone should make us pay particularly close attention to it. So, so then as Jesus then explains the story, the parable, the metaphor that he's given to explain the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And, and he says, so the farmer sows the word, and some people are like seed among the path where the word is sown. But as soon as they hear it, 
Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Okay, so let me stop for a second. So, so right away you see there is a sowing going on, that God is always sowing, speaking, counseling. And in this illustration, this first part, what we see is the entrance of the enemy. Satan comes, it says, and takes away the word that was sown there. Okay, so this is an illustration. This is Jesus describing how the kingdom of heaven works. We have an enemy that steals. Okay, so we'll go back to the, his explanation. Scripture, it says, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble, and, and trouble literally means pressure or distress, and then it goes on, it says, or persecution, and, and persecution means oppression, comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So, so now we have another uh, a picture in this parable where you do have these people who hear the word, and it says they receive it with joy, right? They understand it, they love it, but because they are rooted, they can't withstand the storm that comes against them, as Jesus describes it as trouble or persecution or pressure and distress and oppression. And so they fall away. So once again, there's something that comes against their life, but it's a different form now. Okay, so Jesus goes back. He gives us a kind of a third glimpse into this. He says, still others, like, like seeds sown among, sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Okay, so, so in the first part of this, you see that Satan comes and takes it away. The second part, there is this storm of trouble and persecution that comes, and, and again, this person falls away. In this third one now, I, I take it this is the more rooted person, but, but nevertheless, um, what comes against them Jesus describes as the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. And what happens is that this life, this life of the heart, if you will, gets choked out. So a third attack now, the choking, right? The, the unable to breathe and survive. But he ends with this in this parable. And I'm going to read this out of Luke um, 8.15 now. Same parable, just out of a different gospel. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So now he comes back, right, now explaining, as he explained the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, that there are those that have a good and noble heart. And when they hear the word, they're able to retain it because they persevere and they produce this crop that produces far more that was sown into them. And, and so, so we see a couple things, again, that, that God is always sowing. He's always speaking, counseling. He's always doing that in our lives. It's not, that's not the exceptional people that God does this with. It's everybody. We see that there's this glorious, fruitful life available for everybody, right, a life that produces 30, 60, and 100-fold. Um, it's ordinary for the Christian the other thing that we see that the soil where the seed is planted is the heart. That's why we have to guard it above all things. Um, and, and then thirdly, we find that what is absolutely needed through all this is perseverance because we are in mm. a battle. We're going to have to fight for it. Um, and the thing that catches me about that verse is perseverance. Um, I think there are a couple lies that can enter in um, when when we're facing um, things that are particularly difficult, and one is that it's supposed to be easy. Why are you having a hard time with this? Okay. <laughs> uh, that's lie number one. And then number two is you're all alone in this. Nobody else goes through this. You are all alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take that perseverance um, which means you're going to get the tar kicked out of you over and over again. But um, like the like the trailer for um, Robin Hood, rise and rise again until lambs become lions. 
Yeah. I, to me, that is the process of perseverance. Rise and rise again. Get up and get up. God, God will help you. You're not getting up on your own bootstraps. God will lift you up again and again until lambs become lions. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, i just forgotten about that. That is so good. And, and the thing about perseverance, as I've thought about this, well, first of all, because he's saying this is the secret of the kingdom of heaven, um, this is for everyone. You know, some people like to pretend like, oh, their life is so hard because they're exceptional, because they're the spiritually elite. But this scripture is spoken to everyone. This is about how the kingdom of heaven works in this world. And so everyone, as you said, everyone has to persevere. Everyone's in a battle. The other thing that strikes me is that perseverance is not hanging in there the first time. It's hanging in there the second time and the third time and the fourth time. It's, it's, it's continually staying in the battle. It's not simply staying in at one time. Perseverance has to do with a season, not a moment. And, and I think, you know, part of the lie is I persevered through a battle, and then when the battle comes back to us, we think, okay, there's something wrong here. This is unfair. Well, no, actually, the second battle is where perseverance really comes in. You know, it, it, it's, you're right. It's, it's the lies, the misunderstandings that we have about perseverance that can take us out. Um, so it seems that it's through the parable, the first thing that comes at us is um, sh- shut down their glory. You know, the work of the enemy and just uh, literally the, um, the fallenness of the world, all that conspiring together to shut down. Or I'm actually, let me back up, to prevent it from happening in the first place. Prevent us from coming to Jesus, finding this life of the heart that he's talking about. And then if he can't do that, then shut him down. Sabotage that life. Um, come against that life and that glory that is in that person. So it's almost as if they had never discovered it in the first place. Right. Yeah, that's Jim. That's so important because I think uh, often what new believers hear, whether they literally hear it or they they formulate it from the things they the things they've heard, is that the only battle that exists in this world is a battle from uh, of people. Uh, coming to Christ. And, and that's not the end of the battle because, you know, Satan knows that the result of a person coming to Christ is that they become a display of God's splendor, an oak of righteousness, a life that rebuilds, renews, and restores. And so really it's the same battle, and, but when he loses the first part of that battle, which is, as you said, blinding a person so they can't find life in Christ, forgiveness, salvation, then he's going to go after him, at least try to shut his heart down or her, her heart down so that they will not walk with God, discover the desires of their heart and their life and be in a display of God's splendor. Yeah. And it ought to give us a clue. Um, you know, if this is the nature of the battle, if it really is this hard and there is that much at stake, it ought to give us a clue to just how important we actually are. I think we really underestimate um, the critical place that we have in the story that we've been invited into, um, which is also part of the process of, um, which we'll get to in a little bit, diminishing this calling that we have. Um, you know, if, if you think it's just not that important, why are you going to bother offering it? But, but the, the intensity of the, of the enemy's anger and rage against us ought to give us a clue as to just how critical we are. Um, I, I recently did a, a few weeks ago a, a blog post on a guy. I heard a radio interview with a guy who made it his year-long quest to bake the perfect loaf of bread. And, uh, you know, um, I, got, I took heat from, uh, you know, a person saying that I was being too judgmental because I thought, I thought, number one, this guy does not understand the story in which he's living. And two, he doesn't know how important he is if he's put this much energy into baking the perfect loaf of bread. And I'm all about aesthetics. I'm a, I'm a musician as well as a writer. I love aesthetics. I love pursuing beauty. I love all of those simple pleasures. 
But what it did is it trivialized what his role in the story could be. And I thought, wow, wow, that's happening so much. If you look at interview after interview with what kind of what's being touted out there, what's seen as like the next thing, the, the perfect cup of coffee, you know, the perfect vacation, um, all this aesthetic stuff that, well, what else are you going to go after if you don't know what's really important? You're going to settle right. for these good but, good but lesser things. Right. Oh, exactly. Right. It's that Winston Churchill quote that says, uh, a man who cannot distinguish between great and small events is of no use. I mean, it's exactly what you described. You know, it's fun. It's, it's a hobby. It's a, you know, baking the perfect loaf of bread or making the perfect cup of coffee and it's it may be fun and brings a little bit of life to your heart just because it expresses something but oh my goodness a year of your life really you've given that much and and this is the greater story you're living in right there it's just it's just a sign of what the enemy has done here to people to make people of no use you know it's it's so true I mean I think about John 15, 16, where, where Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and to bear fruit and fruit that will last. I mean, that, that's an amazing statement that Jesus said to people is I have created you and chosen you that you're going to create something with your life that's significant, it's core, it's weighty, and it will last. I mean, those are just amazing words, and this world knows nothing of that nowadays. It's trying, it's looking for something, but it's really lost the greater point to this. You're right. And I think we've lost that, the idea of what, what does it mean to be appointed by God to do something? It, it, because the religious baggage that comes with language like that, we tend to dismiss it as some um, sort of, Flowerly, flowery religious language that you know. Oh, you know, David was appointed to do this, thus and thus, and we miss the we miss the nobility that's in that, the the high calling that everybody has, and so we again underestimate what we are carrying inside of us and what each person is uniquely carrying inside that people need to have. Um, so let's go a little bit into some of, um, you talk about a pattern of the enemy's assault. What are some waves of, of assault that come against us that pretty much any of us could look at and say, yep, I, I see that, that's a pattern that has been happening in my own life, or maybe they've never seen it. So let's unpack that. What, what are some okay. of those, um, go ahead. No, that, yes, yes, let's do that. Let, let, me just, let me just say one more thing with what you said before that, and that is this. I, with what you said, I believe that the only person that underestimates the power of our life um, is us in the spiritual realm. It's not God, because that's why he is training us and developing us, and we'll get into that on, in a further session. Um, and it's not Satan, and that's that's why he attacks us. I mean, if there was nothing of significance in our life, he wouldn't have to pay any attention to us. So we tend to be the only one that underestimates the real power, weightiness, the glory of our life. So, so yes, I, I have seen this pattern. As I look at Scripture and, and the lives of the characters portrayed in Scripture, and, and I look at my own life and I look at the lives of others around me and I look at history, I do see a pattern that seems to emerge, that seems to be a strategy that the enemy uses um, with us in his assault against the glory of our life, our calling. It seems like the, the first wave of attack that he uses is he tries to get us to distance ourselves from our heart and our desires. Uh, because he knows that if, if, we will, if we stay away from our heart and our desires, we have no map to read. We have no compass to look at. We, we have a GPS that doesn't work anymore. Um, and so he tries to distance us. He can't take them away, <clears throat> but he does try to distance us from our heart and our desires. And primarily, it appears, through pain and wounding. And, mm -hmm. and, and if that is not successful, 
um, if he doesn't keep us away from our desires or do something that we stay away from our own desires, uh, then he'll typically come in and try to get us to diminish the glory of our life, our effect, the weightiness of our life, all the words that we talked about, our particular brilliance. Um, he'll try to diminish it to the point that we don't want to offer anymore. We see it as so small and so insignificant that we just are too embarrassed to offer it anymore. Now, if that's unsuccessful and unsustained, then he kind of moves to the third realm that I've seen, the, the third wave of attack, and that is he tries to get us to disdain the glory of our life, the brilliance of our life, through shame. You know, it, it, what happens is we step out, we offer it, and we get criticized for it. And after a while, we're simply ashamed of it. And we so don't want to go through that pain anymore that we, we just disdain it. We kind of utter the words, God, just take this away from me, this way that I see or this way that I know, because I'm tired of dealing with the pain that comes with it. Now, if that doesn't work, the enemy will typically then play his kind of last card and that is the disqualification card. It's, it's the idea that, you know, I, I know what you've thought. I know what you've done. You're disqualified. You have no place in the kingdom of heaven here. None at all. You are disqualified. So he'll, he'll, I, I just see that pattern of those four things that he'll try on us, um, one after another, to try to get us to, uh, you know, not be a display of God's splendor anymore. Hmm. Um, let's go into story a little bit to um, to kind of put some flesh on these different levels of attack that come against us. Um, you like to reference the movie Sea Biscuit, which is a brilliant movie, and there's parts of that that are quite frankly painful to watch um, because mm -hmm. it touch it touches my own heart. Um, and um, so, for those who haven't seen it, um, Sea Biscuit is a story of a racehorse, an unlikely racehorse that um, frankly was um, not really supposed to happen. Um, so set, set that up for, for us a little bit. Who is Seabiscuit and what has his story been? What has he gone through? Yeah, and it is such a great story. And, and what's amazing is it, it centers really around Seabiscuit, but, but there, are, there are three other characters around the horse that also it's a story of their their redemption <clears throat> their redemption as well um, th there is a line toward the beginning of the movie as the, the writer is um, uh, building up the character of the horse who this horse is his story in other words and, and they say in the movie um, about Seabiscuit it says uh, he was hurting and there was a limp in his walk um, that people developed an opinion about Seabiscuit. They decided the horse was lazy, the horse was incorrigible, and they forced him to lose in head-to-head -head duels in order to boost the confidence of the other horse. And then, it, then they went on and they said, soon he became bitter and angry because he was so little valued you know, it's just amazing. The, the writer of this movie, when, when he put that together, that hit me as, as really the, the general story, the byline of everybody's life. Uh, you know, in other words, the, the assault that has come against every person to the point that they are hurting. I mean, there's not a person that isn't hurting. There isn't a person who doesn't walk with a, a limp. Um, there isn't a person that other people have developed opinions about. Um, and, and, and therefore, they have fallen kind of under this false script about their life. Um, and especially this line, right, of forcing Seabiscuit to lose in head-to-head -head duels with, with another horse in order to boost its sense of confidence. I mean, that, Jim, is what the world does. It, it, this is what the enemy does as he works through the world system. He, he puts us in the situations, really, where we're going to, in a sense, be forced to lose in order to boost someone else's confidence. It, it is just such a common story for every human heart, the assault against the human heart. Hmm. Um, and there's a story, <clears throat> I'm sorry, there's a, there's a line in that story um, 
where I think it's his trainer, and his trainer really gets the horse. He, because in some ways, the story of the horse is the story of his trainer. And he says um, they've had him running in circles for so long, he's forgotten how to be a horse. Um, and I think that part of what we're talking about with the enemy's attack, attempting to deaden the desires of our heart, you know, whether it's, whether it's the call of the world, whether it's distraction, whether it's the attack of the enemy, all that conspires against us to get us running in circles so that we forget who we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you know, and, you know when, they tr- when they would train the horse, um, they'd hook him up to a, a large pole and just walk him around, walk him around, walk him around. Well, if that's all you do, you're not going to be able to run. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you're going to be stuck in that rut, literally. And I think a lot of um, I think a lot of guys, especially, are in that place. They just have forgotten how to be a horse, a racehorse. Right. You you just you you lose your instincts that God has put in you. You know your your deepest desires. And, and it's such a great picture, Jim, that you bring up this idea that you are tied. You are tethered. You are chained to something, and mm. you cannot be free. You cannot change this pattern. And and this is and and I think the way people get chained, as you described, tethered, roped to this pole where they just walk in circles until they they don't know who they are anymore. It, it that happens so much through pain and wounding, right? The the things that happen to us which should not have happened, the words that were spoken to us that should not have been spoken. Or there's the other side, right? There's a, the good things that should have been said that weren't, that can scar and, and, and wound, or the things that should have been done in a good way that weren't. Um, boy, those things create wounds and scars that chain us to certain lies or, or, uh, or hide certain things that we can't get out of and, and soon, after going around and around with those things, just as you said, um, we just lose our instincts. We lose the desires of our heart. We're distanced from those things, you know. And, and the enemy will co-opt those. I mean, whether or not he initiated those, he will certainly, once he discovers their places of pain, <laughs> he'll go right after it, jump in there, and use those, continue to use those wounds um, in a way to deaden and diminish and sustain and disqualify. Um, because if they, um, and I love this idea that it's not simply enough to understand your wounds. You know, clarity is not enough. You, only healing will restore your wounds. And um, in fact, I, I recently put up a question on um, the, the forum I moderate saying, what, what are some of the downsides or limitations of talk therapy? You know, you're going into the council and you talk through your problems and you explore other ways of looking at it and, or you just try to discover what are, the, what are the roots of what is going on here? I mean, that has some value, but <laughs> only healing heals. Um, so if those things don't get healed, um, in fact, uh, if if you wouldn't, I mean, if you'd feel comfortable, would you share the story about when you were pheasant hunting and God brought back something that you had put away for maybe 20 years because he knew what it was doing to your heart? Yeah, yeah. No, I'd be, I'd be glad to do that. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so so I was uh, pheasant hunting with a friend of mine, and uh, it was it was an early <clears throat> um, fall morning in Colorado, just beautiful out, and uh, we happened to have a guide, and he had his dogs, and he was walking in a ravine. My friend was on one side of the ravine on a bank; I was on the other side, and. Uh, Nothing was stirring. No, no birds were getting flushed, and so you know, so we were probably walking five, eight, ten minutes with no activity whatsoever, and I was just enjoying the, the smell of the fresh, clean air in the morning and the sun warming us up, and it was just beautiful. But as I was walking, I just asked God, God, is there anything that you want to talk to me about right now? 
and uh, immediately he brought up to me, he said, I want to talk about what happened. So this is about 20 years ago uh, when we first started the Athletes in Action Gymnastics Center. And uh, he said, I, I want to bring up the situation with this guy. Well, this guy, uh, we were training, and he asked me to spot him uh, as he was doing his routine and spot him particularly on his dismount off of parallel bars. And um, so as he was doing his final move, his dismount off of parallel bars, I stepped in close to uh, make sure he could complete his dismount. Um, I noticed that he wasn't spinning fast enough. He was doing this double back somersault off parallel bars, and he wasn't spinning it fast enough. So I stepped in to bump his hips on the, the second rotation and uh, to get him to speed up. And so, and this was we do this with each other all the time as we're training. And so, as I did, I bumped him as hard as I could, but I couldn't get him to rotate enough. Um, he was just literally coming to a standstill on his rotation. He ended up landing on his neck, broke his neck, and was a paraplegic, just, you know, from the neck down, completely paralyzed. That, that was so traumatic to me at that moment that once uh, we called 911 and the ambulance came and took him away and realized he was going to survive but paralyzed, um, I did everything I could to, to completely forget that story, to get that completely out of my mind. And I didn't talk about it after that, wouldn't think about it. Um, well, anyway, here we are now, 20 years or so later, walking through this field, pheasant hunting, and God brings us back up to me. And what he says to me is, Gary, I want to go through this frame by frame. I want us to go through this second by second. Because you have neglected this. You have put it away, but it's not gone. You're still living with it, and it's affecting your life. And so literally, I mean, I had to see this second by second, and I did not want to do this. I mean, I wouldn't have brought this up in my mind for anything, so it wasn't me. And I wouldn't have gone through this as, as God was telling me to. And so I'm, I'm seeing this whole thing play out frame by frame, and I, I'm literally, I'm starting to cry now as I'm walking. No one can see me. I'm, I, you know, they can't, they're not close enough to see my face, nor could they hear me. And I'm just crying, and and. Um, and so as I see this happening, God says, Gary, um, you weren't responsible for that. You did everything you could. You did the right thing. You couldn't get him to rotate. And he broke his neck. He would have broken his neck if you had touched him or not touched him. And I'm mm. weeping. And, and God is saying, Gary, you've lived with this for so long. And, and you have been afraid to offer anything to anyone because you're afraid that you may hurt them. This man asked you to help him, and you, you caused him to be a par paraplegic. And you now have this hesitancy in your life to help anybody. You're afraid. And, and so it was in that moment, and I didn't realize the effect that it had on me, how it had distanced me from my desire to step into people's life, lives and help them. But it was in that moment of saying, all right, God, I need you to heal this place. And I had to forgive myself for what I couldn't do, that I held myself responsible for. And I had to ask God, now come in and just bring healing and restoration to this part of my heart where this has, had resided for so long. And it was a life-changing moment. It was, it was another life-changing moment in my life because it, it wasn't enough to acknowledge it happened. It wasn't enough to put it away and say, you know what, the past is the past because it had affected me. But to allow God to come in and heal it, to bring me back to it, ask him to heal it, ask him what did he want to speak to that, you know, to me about, that was a life-changing moment. Mm. And uh, I, am, I am grateful that you are uh, courageous enough to share that. Um, just because, you know, just because we share a story um, online that we may have shared in the past or with other groups of people, there's always some touchstone of pain involved in telling the story, even if God has done a significant work of, of healing. Um, yeah. And a couple a couple things strike me about the story. Um, one is that is the incredible compassionate genius of God to not only come to you and say, "Gary, it wasn't your fault," but how he did that. He didn't simply speak the words. He took you through every frame so that you would know. <laughs> that it wasn't your fault. 
so that you could see what he saw. You know, he, he, he bridged the time gap so that you could see with his eyes what was really going on so that you didn't have to, car- you didn't have to carry that anymore. Um, and secondly, if you were not willing on that day when you were pheasant hunting to uh, explore that and allow God to resurface that, that painful event and bring some healing, I don't think we would be having this conversation and I think my life would probably look different because that, that could mean that, well, well, well I'll, maybe I'll ask you the question, what would happen or have happened if you decided to go with that sentence, that, that condemnation that got lodged in your heart those 20 years ago that said, I can't be entrusted with anyone's life or I will hurt them. What would happen if you allowed that to be the defining counsel of your life? Oh, that's, that's a great question. I, I think um, I, I would have been lived a much more hesitant life since then, far more careful with entering into a person's life with what I'm offering because I, I just I didn't realize till that moment in the field that what that had created in me is this this um, lie that I had believed that Gary you can do unbelievable harm in a person's life and it's better if you just stay out of it right ask somebody else to spot that ask somebody else to give counsel do not offer because look what you've done and so there was a level of fear that I was living with. Um, that I was not aware of till God brought that up to say, this is, this is how it's affected you and we have to deal with this now. The other thing is this, that there was this level of not only fear, but of uh, being skeptical or cynical, always almost overanalyzing things because I was so afraid. Okay, now what could happen? What are they really asking? What if this doesn't turn out well? Well... You know, Scripture says there, that, that there is no love in fear. You know, perfect love casts out fear. So I, I just realized I just have not been able to love people well because I'm so analyzing everything, being so careful, you know, because of fear. And I, I don't know that we would be having this conversation. I, I don't know that, that I would have, you know, completed a book that I started years and years ago or... or or when somebody says, I just need some help, I, I don't think I'd be who I am today if God had not approached me and said, we now have to deal with that wound. We need to bring healing to it. And, and going back to what you said earlier, right, um, understanding is not healing. I mean, it, it's as if I, I got this laceration on my arm, and I could, I could show it to you, I could describe the laceration, I could tell you what could happen, and why it's not, it's not healthy to have this laceration, but that, that's not going to heal it. I mean, there's a whole different, like you said, there's a different thing between understanding a wound, a laceration, and then bringing healing and restoration to it, you know, how to clean it out, how to stitch it back up. Um, those are two very different things. And most people are living in the realm of understanding and not under, and, and they can't figure out why they're still bound by the wound because they don't understand the difference between understanding and healing and what that means. Hmm. And, you know, if, if you had allowed that, that sentence, that lie of, I'm not going to get close to anybody because I'm going to, I'm going to end up bringing destruction instead of life to them. That was, you know, as we're looking at it within the framework of uh, dead and diminished, sustain and disqualify, I mean, if you would allow that to really take root and not not walk with God in that, who knows what you'd be doing today? I mean, really, it, the enemy could have gotten in there so deep and for so long that who knows what what would have happened to your what you're offering today, the life that you're bringing to people. Um, I, I want to share a story from my own life that um, probably is in the category of the effect of wounding an enemy to diminish and disdain or get us, try to get us to diminish and disdain our calling. 
um, even as recent as the last two weeks, it has just been brutal. And I can't even, I don't even really understand all of what's been going on or, or even where it's been coming from. But I'm pretty sure that the enemy has gotten in there. Again, uh, opportunists coming in to, to something that already is painful and then, you know, uh, just pouring kerosene all over it. Uh, to the point where I, um, something happened where I got really discouraged really quick. And it, and it kind of had, it was sort of the final straw for me. It had added to, added to a, a weight that I had been carrying for so long and the, the message of my own wounds, which, which has been nobody wants what you want to give them. Nobody wants it, uh, which is, you know, what other kind of diminishment can you come I mean, that's pretty clear. Um, and of course, that's not true, but that's been the lie. So all of this, this event fed into that um, to the point where I said, God, screw you. I'm done. I don't, I mean, I was angry. And, and because it didn't, I didn't seem to be getting any relief. I mean, over time, over months, over years, literally. Um, and this just kind of broke my back to the point where I said, I'm done. I am done offering what you're calling me to offer. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and two things made it worse. One, I couldn't give it up because it is so strong in me that I, I just can't. <laughs> Even if I say I'm, I'm done and really mean it, um, and my poor wife is just tired of hearing me say that, you know, in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, even though I tried to say, look, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to blog anymore. I'm not going to put the message out there anymore because it just doesn't matter. Um, and what made me more angry was that I couldn't give it up <laughs> because it was so strong in me, which is a good sign that maybe if something is that strong in you, that even if you want with all your with all your flesh to give it up, you can't. Um, so that even made me more mad. Um, but God did something really amazing, um, and it didn't happen exactly at the time that I felt I was needing it most. But you know, through various channels, God has kind of been speaking into that, exposing the lie I'm believing, and um, one guy. I don't even really know him. I recognize his name on Facebook. Somebody who offended me, and I, I'm probably somewhat familiar with with the message. He he would have had no idea what what I had been battling through. This diminishment and this disdain. I'm done. I hate my call because it doesn't matter. I'm done. He sent me this um, uh, just a little comment on my Facebook profile. Um, unsolicited, and he could not possibly have known what was going on. And he said, um, I, I, it was in response to the announcement of this podcast that we're doing today. And he said, I'm so looking forward to this. Thanks. You were a blessing to Austin, Texas, which is, I guess, where he lives. And then he said, don't quit. He said, you got good stuff, and I can't think of a better, more appropriate ministry than what you're doing. I, 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 I wrote it down in my journal just because it was so profound and it was God using someone that I don't know who had no idea what I was going through you know the level of warfare and sabotage that was against my heart he could not have known but God through him spoke into this into my situation in a way that you know, it, it wouldn't have been enough if my wife, who's just who's a great encourager, would you know would have said, "No, Jim, that's not true. You know, that's not true. You know that God needs you, and you know that people are finding life through this message of the heart." He had to bring it through someone who was almost a com really almost a complete stranger to me to help me see. Okay, I'm getting your attention here. This isn't someone just trying to be nice to you. There's no way they could have known that you needed to hear that. L let me speak to you. <laughs> yeah, that's and, so amazing. Because right, because your your wife loves you, and she'll do everything she can, you know, to give you life and watch you walk in life. But but for someone who, in a sense, really doesn't love you because they don't know you, you know, you know it was God. So uh, here's what I'm so struck by your story. Right, it goes back to. Where was the attack? It was against your heart, you know, 
because that's where lies as well as truth reside. They reside in our heart, this thought, no one wants anything from me, this isn't working, you know. And so you persevered, you had to. This wasn't a this wasn't a fleeting thought over five minutes. You described this as days and weeks, right? So persevered, right. you persevered, and Jim, I'm so glad you persevered. Second, uh, third mm. thing is you talked about this compelling. It's so good because you're right. We can't escape what God's put in our heart to do. We can try, we can try to shut it down and mute it and quiet it down, and so many people live their lives like that. Um, but you really can't escape it. I mean, it's kind of which which you want to deal with, either the haunting of what you're supposed to do or the or the haunting of the pain. And you gave you went back with the compelling of your heart. I love that you did that. I love that God, you know, which He does, He used. He just uses the enemy. He plays the enemy. So he, used, he let the enemy do this and then use that to expose, you know, things in your heart that the enemy had done. He exposed it so that God could start dealing with it and then he could speak right through it through the stranger in the supernatural way. What an amazing story. And I am so glad yeah. that you hung in there because of the effects of your life and your love on my life. Well, thank you. Um, and I think that, you know, at the time, it, it, the, the pain is so intense for any of us in the moment that we don't realize that what happens if I do? What happens if I just do, maybe not in this moment, but in a cumulative moment over time, say, I'm done? What will others not be able to receive, at least in the way God best intends? If I agree with this lie and shut it down, what will they not yeah. get? And because all you're feeling at the moment is just you feel like you're getting your head dunked underwater and, and somebody's pushing you down over and over again, not allowing you to come up for breath. Yeah. And um, so I, I do want to talk. Um, we've got a few more minutes. Um, I want to talk about something that I think can happen with our calling that we can misinterpret as the work of the enemy to diminish and sustain us. And I don't honestly know if I have a settled position on this yet, but I think that there are times when God, out of his mercy, will thwart us from getting what we want in a way that would bring us death instead of life. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, it's not that what we want is bad because we're living from a new heart and we have new desires that are noble and good and that's the, the clue to our calling. But sometimes if these attacks come against us, if life conspires to work out in a way that it just doesn't seem to be happening the way we had, had pictured it unfolding, we can go after it. You know, as Larry Crabb says, go, we can go to wells that do not satisfy to get what is good, but in the wrong way. And so God will say, no, I am, going to, I am going to put my hand against your chest so that you can't walk that way. Because if you do, you won't get what your heart most deeply desires. And you can't even see the consequences of what will happen if you go that way. And so we can misinterpret it as... Um, well, a couple things. One, um, as the enemies work against us, or or the result of a wound, or we can we can feel like we're blowing it. There's something we're doing wrong, which in this case isn't so such a good thing. The way we're pursuing our desires, or we can just say, you know what, God, I think you just don't like me. I really believe that you don't want me to pursue this anymore. I don't think you. I frankly don't think you have my back, which is what all the things I was saying to myself as I was processing this a couple of weeks ago. So I just wanted to bring that up as, um, I don't know if you've experienced that, but there are some times when God will, God will purposefully prevent us from moving towards our desires because the way we're going about it is destructive. Well, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, Satan is not the only one that, now, he thwarts for um, wrong, evil purposes, right? Trying to destroy our life, destroy the effect of our life. But 
God thwarts as well, as you're saying. I mean, he will come in and say, no, it, it may be not now, the timing is not right, or you're not ready yet. You know, you won't be able to handle this well, and, and what's so good could actually destroy your life right now because you're not ready for it yet. It's like a, you know, it's like a 12-year-old wanting the keys to the car to go drive it. It's just not yet. You're not ready yet. There's nothing wrong with a car, but you're not ready for it, and it will destroy you. It could destroy you or destroy others. Um, and and there, there, you know, there, there's all of that. See, that that's most people going back to mystery. Most people just resist. Uh, the idea of mystery, they resist not the complications of life. And so, I mean, that's what just keeps us back with God, is saying, God, well, I don't know what's going on here. Is this the enemy or is this you that I can't move mm. forward? And, and I think it's part of the imitation of God. Come to me, you know, come to me. I want to speak to you about this. But the idea of being naive and running out, being rash, if this is the enemy, you know, well, it, it may not be. Now, one of the assurances that I kind of uh, bank on is this, that I that God has given us the ability through the work of Christ and through his authority to bind the evil one in the things that he does. But we do not have the authority or the ability to bind God. <laughs> and so one of the things I'll do is when I when I just have this resistance in my life that feels like oppression or assault, I, I want to exert the authority of Christ against it and stand in my place that, that God has given me under his son, Jesus Christ. And, and I will try to persevere in that. But if that doesn't work after a while, I have to ask, okay, maybe this is God. Maybe God in his mercy and love is saying, no, I can't let you go there right now. I can't let you do this right now. Or... You know, the, the, the hard reality is the only way we learn to persevere is by persevering. And so God may be saying, you know, the whole lesson right here is to learn how to persevere, to hang in there. And the only way you learn to hang in there is by hanging in there. And so I, I, I'm with you in that one. I think that's part of the intrigue, the adventure, the mystery of being a, a believer in this world is it's not always clear. It's not always the enemy. It's not always God, you know. It's not always us. And in all of this, what we want to avoid is is the assumption that well, God is God. Assuming that God is thwarting a particular avenue which we're pursuing, we must not think it's because I have a bad heart. It's really because in order for Him to give us what He most wants to give and what we most want. He has to do that because if we go through it in a way that won't produce life or in a way that's not most beneficial, it would actually sabotage that very thing. So it's a way for him to give us what we most want, but it's going to feel cruel at the time. Um, right. We just have about, about a minute left, but I wanted to end with a great question that you ask. What is so powerful in you that if you don't live with it, the kingdom of God lives without it. Um, I, I love that because, one, it, it, it acknowledges that there is something powerful in you that is unique to you, the way that you particularly um, bear the image of God. And it also acknowledges that if you don't live without it, there, there are repercussions of that, uh, you know, that somebody is going to live without it if you don't offer it. Um, so that's, that is just absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, and, a what, couple and what, things. It, what, it, what it puts in perspective, what it puts in perspective is this idea that there is something in every person that God has given you that others need. They truly need it. And so if we stay with the, with the idea that, well, hey, it's my life and you know, I don't affect much, and if I don't offer, it's really no big deal. It's my business. Well, the, the answer is, first of all, it does affect much. It's needed. It's weighty. It's important. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. And and it's not just about you. It's about the world around you that God put you in that world at this time for a reason. It's not simply if you want to or don't want to. It's Your life is bigger than that. Yeah. Um, 
that that is Gary as usual this is such such rich material um, let me quickly say before we go that Gary's website is thenobleheart.com and you can learn more about Gary and his resources there hey Gary thanks again Jim thank you it's been just fun talking about these things together so I look forward to the next one hey we'll talk soon thanks Gary all right bye-bye bye-bye